Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Again, lots of ground to cover. We'll try to give you some perspective of what's going on in Wisconsin with the ongoing coronavirus crisis that is affecting all our lives. And we'll we'll ask some difficult questions about are we managing it moving forward in in the best way and, and how do we figure out plans whenever that day comes, whether it's two weeks from now or three weeks from now or three months from now, how do we start getting lives back to normal? Okay, speaking of of normal, interesting story. And again, as I was saying in the introduction to this before the start of the show, we we live in, in sort of different times now, and some of the rules perhaps change from time to time. As a general rule, I believe employers need to be transparent with their employees. That is to say, if stuff is going on, you want to err on the side of disclosure. It's especially important now when everybody is freaked out about everything and everybody is worried about getting sick and dying and all those types of things. It's important to let people know where they stand and what is going on, which brings me to a story that uh, first was reported on uh, Fox 6, involving a union for the workers of City of Milwaukee at the Department of Public Works and the mayor and, and their bosses. Now, you have to understand we're, there's a mayoral election coming up next Tuesday, a week from today. So politics, I think, perhaps plays a role in this, as well as the fact that lots of people are on their last nerve. Well, okay, employees at the Department of Public Works, they are essential. They have to come in, and I think everybody appreciates that they come in to keep the water on, to keep the garbage picked up, all that type of stuff. Here's the story as reported by Fox 6. On Wednesday, March 18th, apparently an employer, an employee comes to work at the DPW. The employee experiencing fever, cough, shortness of breath. All right? As it turns out, the DPW's spouse, the employee's spouse, um, had tested positive for COVID-19. Now, this is <clears throat> on Wednesday the 18th. The Department of Public Works, what they do is they apparently immediately send the employee home, and they, they tell them, okay, you, you've got to quarantine yourself. We're going to put you on paid leave, and then what we're going to do is they decide they're, they're going to take added steps where they come in and they, they disinfect the employee's work area, and they kind of redouble their efforts to, to keep things clean. All right, that, that's the deal. They don't tell other employees at the Department of Public Works until Thursday the 26th, which is like over a week later. They send out a, a memo 
saying that there's been an employee at the Department of Public Works who has has tested positive for not tested positive, but who you know was showing these symptoms. This employee's spouse had tested positive. We sent the employee home, but they didn't notify other employees at the Department of Public Works that that this had happened. So they, they hadn't told anybody that somebody had been put in quarantine. And so now there's this huge issue. Their headline in the local newspaper says, Union criticizes Barrett after city waited eight days to tell city workers of coronavirus case. Our number, 799 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. All right. The city says... Look, we, once we found out about this, we, we, we did, we immediately stepped up. We sent the worker home. Therefore, there, there wasn't going to be any more, for, any more exposure. Sent the worker home, told the worker to stay home. We disinfected the, the area. They did not communicate until eight days later to all the employees what they, what they had done. But the union is now saying, hey, you should have told us right away when you decided that you were going to send one of the employees from the department home and put that employee into quarantine. We should have known that right away. Now, I don't know why the city didn't, and they're a little bit unclear on this. My guess is that they were wrestling with, like, like medical privacy laws because normally, you know, you, you wouldn't, Normally, you wouldn't communicate in general, gee, we had to send some employee home because of this particular medical condition. So my guess is they were sort of wrestling with that. That's number one. And, and number two, I, I don't know that it changes the dynamic any. I mean, if after they find out about it, they send the employee home right away. So it's not like the people that he had, he or she, I don't know if it's a he or she. It's not like the people that the employee had come into contact with before it's not like they could do anything i mean they'd already come into contact with the person so the city i think takes the position that hey we did everything we could to to stop the spread of this and 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 notifying the employees hey yesterday so and so came into work and they had a fever and as it turns out so and so spouse has tested positive for coronavirus i think the argument and their feeling is it would not have changed anything had we notified people right away as opposed to waiting a week okay let's tee this up 855-616-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line what should employers do in a situation like this? If you have a coworker who has been, again, sent home at this time of coronavirus, not, not for testing positive for coronavirus, but, but having symptoms and having been exposed, you know, should employers immediately be notifying the rest of the workforce about what what has happened? And again, I, I don't know. There's no indication that this employee who was sent home actually, you know, has tested positive for for coronavirus. We, we don't know that. He was sent home as soon as the city found out about it. Were they derelict in not telling their co-worker, the, the guy's co-workers, not telling the fellow employees that, hey, we, we've had this situation happen? And while this happened at the city of Milwaukee, my, my guess is that this could happen pretty much anywhere where we have, you know, peop, the businesses that are open. What's the obligation of the employer? Did the city of Milwaukee drop the ball by not telling other Department of Public Works employees that this had happened until eight days later. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment.
If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. The one other additional thing is that the the city says that in this lag, the, the, the seven or eight day lag, that during that time, Milwaukee Health Department, now this was DPW, but say health department officials were making, trying to make contact with any employees or business contacts believed to have had direct contact with the employee, asking them to work remotely or stay home for a two-week quarantine period, which is, is all well and good. But, of course, the easiest way to figure out who that might have been would have been to put out a memo right away saying, hey, um, Joe... We want everybody to know that Joe, you know, came in on Wednesday and Joe has been, you know, coughing and had a, a fever. We sent him home. We're quarantining him. And by the way, Joe's spouse, Mary, um, you know, she's tested positive for this. It would seem to me if you would disclose that early on, that would make it easy for people to then know um, who might have had contact with Joe. Of course, at the same time, you know, does Joe have privacy rights? Does Mary, Joe's spouse, have privacy rights? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's an employer to do? Let's start with Heidi on the south side. Heidi, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Um, hi. Yeah. Like I said, hi. Um, like I said to the guy I talked to on the phone, my daughter is in the healthcare um, field. She works in a hospital. And... Um, you do not have to tell anybody that you have been tested or that you may have it unless you get a positive reading. And the reason why is they don't want to cause any more paranoia or get anybody else mm-hmm. frazzled and upset. And that is the why. That's the reason why maybe they waited. Yeah, but of course, then what they did is eight days later. They eight days later they told everybody. So it's it's not like they it's not like they waited till they knew the guy or gal or whoever the employee was. I mean, they they told them eight days later. I just don't I don't think they knew how to handle it because at some point in time they it did disclose takes, it. It only takes up to forty eight hours to get a result. Mm-hmm. The, so he, do you, you see what I'm saying? I, I do, I, and I don't. I don't know what the, what the test results were or anything like that. I guess my question is, do you think that that's a good policy? I mean, I understand the the reason is we don't want to freak people out. You know, we we don't want them to think they've been exposed. But at the same time, um, you, don't people have a right to know? So maybe they can they can decide whether they want to quarantine themselves. Um, yeah, I do believe that they do have a right to know. But since it only takes that 48 hours to get the test back, I also believe that maybe it is better to wait at least the 48 hours, not eight days, but at least the 48 hours. Because if he tested negative, you just freaked out the entire office for no reason. And I am working right right now. I don't even know. And I, I have to work and I have to be in contact with people all the time. And... I understand that, you know, there's a lot of people already freaked out over there, out in the world. And I think it's just so that you don't make everybody more freaked out. Because no, thanks for the call. I, no, no, I get it. No, thank, thanks for the call, Heidi. I mean, I appreciate I, I, I mean, I understand that the purpose is not to freak people out. But I guess I, I trust people. I See, this is one of the things that I think we need to have happen. I think we need, I think we, we get through this with honesty 
and with transparency. And, and I guess that's that, that's kind of the situation I, I look at this. And if I was one of those employees at, at the Department of Public Works, my question would be, okay, what, what else is the city withholding from me? I mean, why aren't they telling me this? Now, I understand in some respects it, it doesn't change anything necessarily because the people that had contact with the employee had already had contact with the employee. I mean, they once they found out, they clearly did the right thing. They sent the employee home. They told the employee, okay, you, you've got to be in quarantine. But if I was, and then, then over a period of time, I guess, the Department of Public Health comes in and they try to, like, recreate who we might have had, or I'm assuming it's a he for the sake of argument, they, they, who that employee might have had contact with. Well, okay, wouldn't the easiest way just to be to say, hey, that this is what happened with, with Joe, we've had to send him home. Um, it, you know, Anybody that's had contact with Joe, come talk to your supervisor and we'll figure out how to do this. Um, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, we had the uh, pleasure of going to Hawaii for a couple of weeks and came home right before this pandemic mayhem started over here. And uh, they asked uh, if anyone was in contact with a plane, with a person in a plane, train, or bus, or whatever. And uh, my son said, yeah, my parents are in a plane coming back. And his employer said, well, uh, for a company policy, you have to stay home for five days and uh, mm-hmm. make sure you're all clear. And that's it. And I think that this pandemic thing, rules out uh, overrides the Privacy Act of people. Uh, this is a pandemic, not a natural situation. Or normal, yeah. I should yeah. Well, right. no, it, it, yeah. No, no. Th- thanks for call, Mike. I mean, I guess I, I'm trying to personalize this. I got a number of interesting texts. Let's see. Um, CDC business guidelines tell employers to notify coworkers immediately. You know when when this happened. Um, Jeff, this happened on my job. I had all the symptoms, but there wasn't enough tests available, so I wasn't able to take one. My doctor told me to stay home, but the warehouse where I work out of didn't tell anyone. They still haven't. My two weeks are over. I'm I'm back back at work um you know i guess here's here's how i look at this and first of all for, for the people who've been exposed who come down with this it, it, it's it's not the scarlet letter it's not your fault all right so i i think that that's this whole idea behind it now what we've done at good karma brands is and i think some of my colleagues were making reference to this i mean we we've we pretty much cleared out radio city i'm broadcasting from from my home and that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future and and they've done that because they, they don't want you know we, we, they want that separation you know we don't want people having to come in and getting other people sick i will tell you this if Three weeks ago, when I was still working, you know, going in every day, if three weeks ago one of my coworkers had had the same situation, their spouse had tested positive and they were showing the symptoms and we've been around, I would have expected my employer to tell me that right away. Say, okay, look, we're we're not trying to panic everybody, but you know, this is what happened. I wouldn't think less of that coworker or anything like that, but I think at that point in time you inform as soon as you possibly can Anybody who might be exposed or might have been in the, the same sort of areas, you do that immediately, and then you let people decide, you know, how they're going to handle that, as opposed to kind of kicking the can down the road. Now, again, I, I don't know that it would have changed anything here, 
and, and I don't know whether this is one where you say, okay, the, the mayor dropped the ball. My guess is this is happening in a lot of in a lot of employment situations, and you've got the employers, public and private, who are trying to wrestle with, with how you end up doing this. I guess I just think in the age of coronavirus, transparency is better. Let's be honest with people. Let, let's tell people where things stand, and, and then, again, let them make their own decisions about this because, you know, maybe it's a situation where you say, oh, my gosh, you know, Joe – you know, Joe, Joe was coughing. They sent him home. He had a fever. Uh, Joe's wife, you know, she's tested positive for COVID. And, you know, I was at least, I didn't have any direct contact with him, but I was around him. Okay, well, that then allows maybe the employees to kind of make their own decisions where they want to move forward. But I think it's certainly valuable information to have. And I guess from my perspective, with the city of Milwaukee, the way they handled it was as bad as you possibly could handle it because, Either you're going to make the position, take the position, I think that you tell people right away and let them decide, or, like one of our texters, that they just don't tell them. You come to the conclusion that, okay, people don't have a right to know this, um, and so we're going to protect the privacy rights, etc., whatever, and, and then we're not going to do it. But to wait eight days, I mean, to me, you either send out that memo right away and tell people, or... Then you decide you're not going to tell people you, that what you've done by you know, sending Joe home and by trying to find the people he may have had contact with and asking them to work remotely. Then you say that's either enough. But if you're going to send out the memo, you've got to send out the memo right away. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> It's the best of times. It's, it's the worst of times. One of the things when we're going through this common experience, in this case, the pandemic of coronavirus, is it brings out, I think you see a lot of the good in people. You, you see all the folks who are, I don't know, taking care of their neighbors. Maybe you have some older neighbors who aren't as comfortable going out who shouldn't go out because, you know, they're in the particularly vulnerable at-risk group. So maybe people are bringing them food or doing the shopping for them. I mean, it's all those type of things. The random acts of kindness for the essential workers, the people who are driving the trucks and delivering the mail and delivering the packages and working in the grocery stores so, you know, we, we don't have problems. So, you know, you see, you see all that. Again, those random acts of kindness. And then... Then you see some of the worst aspects of, of human nature, and I, I, I've noticed that a couple times. Okay, so over the weekend, I, I go out shopping to one of the stores. My wife has done most of the shopping, so I, I really don't get out that much, and that, that's probably just as well. But I'm in one of the, the grocery stores in the area where I live, and there, there's plenty of stuff on the shelves. I mean, there, there's plenty of stuff on the shelves until I come to the aisle with the toilet paper, the paper towels, uh, the hand sanitizing stuff and like the wipes. All right. And, and it, it's like, it's like the day of the locust. The, the things are, are just empty. And because I'm, I'm kind of curious, maintaining social distancing, I see an employee and I say to the employee, is it, when did you last have this stocked? And the, the, the young man said, it, it you know, we, we typically get shipments every day. Trucks come in. 
We fill up the, the thing aisles, and then it's gone in an hour. I mean, people are, are just grabbing it. So there's some stuff that we put a limit on. For example, the, the, <clears throat> the, the wipes, the sanitary wipes. said, you know, if you need sanitary wipes, you can get them, but we've had to put a limit only allowing people to buy one at a time. And the, the young man says to me, because if we hadn't allowed somebody to buy one at a time, somebody would have come in, they would have grabbed all 12 or 24, they would have put them in the cart and buy them. So we, we had to limit it, not because we're having trouble getting the stuff, but we're having trouble keeping it on the shelves because people just buy so much of it. They, they hoard. And I'm thinking, really, they, they end up hoarding. All right, so then what ends up happening is after that, uh, I, was in, I was in a pharmacy, and on, on my list of things to buy was, was Tylenol. And I guess Tylenol in, if you look at the reports out of New York, they're, they're saying there's kind of like a shortage of Tylenol. Now, the people that make Tylenol say there, there's no shortage of Tylenol per se. What there is is the fact that you've got some people who, again, are, are hoarding the stuff. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a drugstore, a pharmacy, kind of across the way, and I, I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I'm just kind of curious. Is there Tylenol on the shelves? And I go to the area where there's normally Tylenol. There's, there's a leave. There, there's aspirin. There's all sorts of other stuff, but there's no Tylenol there. And they say, Tylenol behind the front counter. So I go up, and, and behi- right behind the counter, you know, behind the cash register, where you'd have, like, the cigarettes and stuff, they, they've, got, they've got Tylenol. But you can't, you, you can't just buy it off the shelf. You, you've got to go ask for it. And they've got a limit of, of one thing of Tylenol a person. And, again, because I've got this inquiring mind, I, I, I asked the, the clerk. I said, are you having trouble getting Tylenol? And she said, no, we're not having trouble getting Tylenol. We're having trouble keeping the Tylenol on the shelves because we would put it on the shelf and somebody would come in and they would buy, like, six giant bottles of, the, of Tylenol. And then, you know, we'd have two or three customers, and they'd, they'd, they'd buy all this Tylenol, and then we wouldn't have any for anyone else. So we, we've had to bring it behind the counter. But, again, the, the point is <clears throat> there, there's not really a shortage of Tylenol per se, at least around here. I don't know about New York City. There's not a shortage of Tylenol, but they can't keep it on the shelves because, you know, people are freaking out, and they're buying just three, four, five years' supply of this stuff, stopping other people from getting it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I admit that this hoarding it is it's kind of, along with a lot of other stuff, it's kind of got me on my last nerve. Are, are you seeing this type of hoarding? Are you seeing people that are just buying inordinate amounts of stuff just so that they have it on the off chance that, gee, you know, three years from now, you want to make sure that you're not going to run out of toilet paper. Because candidly, I mean, I, I think this is sort of, it's kind of an attitude of, gee, I, I'm in it for myself. I, I don't care, you know, what other people need. I mean, look, I understand. You want to buy the hand sanitizer, and everybody's buying the hand sanitizer, and that challenges supply lines about keeping the hand sanitizer in place. But you don't need a year's worth of toilet paper. You don't need three years' worth of Tylenol. That's just the reality. It's just the panic that is setting in that I've got to get mine, and I don't care about anybody else. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we do about these hoarders, and why is it that people are are doing this as much? Obviously, the stores are adapting to it, one thing of handy wipes, one thing of of Tylenol, and and that's fine. 
But isn't it unfortunate that they need to do that? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start off with a text. Jeff, I drive for Roundies. In my 22 years of working at Roundies, I have never seen the warehouse this busy. The amount of incoming product is crazy. There is no shortage of anything. I deliver to the stores. By the time I get off work and go shopping, not much of it is left, your friendly uh, Roundies driver. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, see, that's... That's the the deal here. Jeff, I work at a grocery store. People are hoarding everything. I feel so bad for others who ask for something they need, and we don't have it for them. Limits help, but then they just come back every morning. <laughs> See, that, that that's the nutty thing that, that is going on here, the, the idea. And, again, I, I understand there's some people who you, you go into the grocery store, you go into your local grocery store once, and you say, okay, there's no toilet paper on the shelves. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't toilet paper on the shelves. There, there's plenty of toilet paper. It's in the system. It's coming out. The roundies driver is delivering it, you know, every night or every two days. It's just that people are buying it and hoarding it more than you can possibly need. I Again, before I started this topic, I was looking at what Johnson & Johnson, they make Tylenol. What they were saying about Tylenol, I said, there's plenty of Tylenol. Now, again, if you're in New York City where there's the huge medical thing. There might be a shortage there. But in general, in the country, there's plenty of Tylenol. But people are freaked out about this. So instead of buying the giant bottle of Tylenol that's going to last you two years, you know, they're buying seven of the giant bottles of Tylenol. 855-616-1620. Jane in Germantown. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Regarding the hoarding... Um, I am a senior, and I go shopping when they open up first thing in the morning at either uh, Pick and Save or Sendix. First right. person through the door. There is never any toilet paper, and there hasn't been for three weeks. So who's ever hoarding it is in there before they even open the doors. I mean, it's, right. there, it doesn't, <laughs> it's, it's not it's, being it's hoarded by the first people through the doors. No, it, but it, but it's obviously being hoarded by by some somebody. It's just it's absolutely yeah, nuts it, to me it's because the only people, oh, yeah, the only people that are there before we are the seniors are the employees. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I'm there at six o'clock when they slide open that front door and I go in. You know, maybe there's three or four of us there. We all head towards the paper aisle. Nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. Again, I, I don't I, and, I, and I don't know that it, it's automatically overnight. I mean, I don't know when the trucks containing the paper products come in, and I'm not suggesting they necessarily come in every night. But but they're 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 coming in on a regular basis. You you talk to the truck drivers; they're dropping the stuff off. It's just that they they can't keep it in hand, and and to the point of you're right, trying to limit purchases. Okay, you can only buy. Uh, one thing of hand sanitizers or whatever, then the people, you know, come back later on that day or they come back three times in the day to, to buy it. What what are you going to end up doing with all these things? Let's talk to Kay in Kenosha. Kay, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I can't tell you how angry this makes me um, even on a weekly basis. Um, I'm shopping for two elderly parents as well as ourselves. And last week I was in uh, looking for simple things like eggs and rice, I went to three stores. There was nothing. The eggs were all gone. Even the egg substitute was gone. The rice, the bags of rice were gone. What are people doing with this stuff? And if you go to, like, Sam's Club, they have to have limits on Hagen-Dazs. 
Why are they hoarding <laughs> pig and dust? What is wrong with these people? Wait, isn't it so frustrating? I you just I okay about a week or so ago, my my wife was. She was, was going to, we wanted to make chicken for dinner or something. She went to two different grocery stores. There was no chicken. I mean, there, and she talked to, you know, she talked to the people. And they said, oh, the, behind the counter, they said, oh, we're going to have chicken tomorrow. We just got this full stock thing of chicken. And we had everybody coming in, and they were buying, instead of, I don't know, two things of chicken, they were buying ten things of chicken. And, and so now we're out of chicken until it all comes in tomorrow. It's like, and I kept thinking, what are you going to do with all this chicken? How big a freezer do you have? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it's, are, are we really so terrified that, you know, we're going to run out of stuff that we, we react in this way? just drives me crazy, too. Yeah, it, it is, it's very frustrating, and it's hard on folks who maybe don't have the freezer space or are shopping for, for elderly people. And in regard to your comment about Tylenol, apparently there was some there is something going on on the Internet regarding how you should, if you do have a fever or something, you should take um, Tylenol sure. and that sort of thing versus NSAIDs because the COVID doesn't like and, and SEDs or something. So everybody's running out there and sucking down as much of these acetaminophen as they can. Yeah, right. Yeah. Instead of waiting till okay, gee, now I, I've got a because look, most of us, the reality is, most of us aren't going to get sick. So okay, gee, now I've got a fever. I'm, I'm okay. Now I'm going to run over. I'm going to pick up the Tylenol. But instead, everybody's wanting out, and they're not just buying one thing; they're buying a year or two years worth of Tylenol. It's like, for goodness sakes! I mean, leave some it's, for somebody it's else. Hysteria. Mass hysteria, yeah, no, and it's, it's it's just it's just crazy, and it makes me so mad. No, no, thanks for the call. I, again, because I, I mean, and again, I'm I'm not saying don't don't be prepared, of course, but but the grocery stores aren't going to shut down. There, there's plenty of stuff in the supply line. It's just we're our own worst enemy. What's the old thing from the old cartoon Pogo? You know, I I, I have seen the enemy, and he is us. It, it's it's that's that's what the dynamic is when we run out and we give in to panic and things like that. And I'm not saying don't buy things you need. And I'm not saying don't buy maybe a little bit extra. But do you need three years worth of toilet paper? or three years worth of Tylenol. Joanne in Greendale. Joanne, you're on WTMJ. Hi, there's two things that I wanted to comment on. Number one, with these people that are hoarding the Tylenol, uh, take a look at the bottle because there is an expiration date on it. Sure. So if you've got a five-year supply, it's not going to be good in five years. It's not going to help right, you at exactly. all. Number and the two, same thing is the, well, the same that, thing is true with canned soup and all that. Other, there's, a, there's a limit on all absolutely. this stuff. And yeah, you you know, buying four years worth of canned soup isn't going to help you. <laughs> I mean, unless you're, you know, nope. it's not going to come to that. Nope. And hunger task force won't take it if it's expired. I've helped out. I volunteered to help out at hunger task force. We have to throw that stuff out. So come on, folks, be reasonable. My other right. complaint, and this one is even bigger. I am sick and tired of seeing the plastic gloves laying in the parking lot after somebody gets done shopping. Really, folks, think about the person that has to pick those up. Somebody's got to clean it up. Take your garbage home. I, 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 I understand. Comments. Thanks for calling. I understand and I, I agree completely. Uh, Gianni in Montello, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I, I'm unfortunately, as proud as I am to be at uh, Wisconsin, she said, I, I think we're seeing the ugly side of humanity here. Now, um, my suggestion would have been uh, 
to limit the amount of uh, a chicken and paper products and Tylenol and various and sundry other products. That should have been done a month ago. I was up in town, you know, just getting my, my, my weekly, you know, a, a small cart of groceries. Right. And they were limiting the, the amount of chicken and um, the amount of, uh, you know, what you could buy, right. rice and that. Rice was pretty much gone. But uh, it, it took a month to get us, you know, into the limitations uh, where, where, where you can only buy, uh, you know, uh, so many pounds right. of hamburger meat and so many ribs and, and that. So that we're, you know, we're, we're, we, we need we should have done this earlier. You know, we're, we're a little bit behind okay. the curve as far as the grocery business. Yeah, no, thanks for the call, John. And I guess that I guess it's unfortunate. We we kind of, and again, I, I you you want to appeal to the the better angels of people's nature. I, I just I, I swear I don't understand why there's the run on some stuff. Like I say, I, I toilet paper for the life of me, I, I don't get. I mean, how how many how many years supply of toilet paper do do you really need for a, a shutdown that's going to be a couple weeks? Um, it, it's it is the same mentality that we see whenever they say, hey, there's going to be a blizzard, and immediately hardware stores are bought out and stores are, are bought out, and, and you want to kind of say, oh, okay, for example, this is Wisconsin. We do snow really well. I remember the last true blizzard that we had down here in southeastern Wisconsin, which was 2000, early of 2011, that week of the Packers Super Bowl game, and, and even then, I mean, it snowed like you know what for you know a, a day you had all the wind but but the roads were open the, the roads were open the next day people would be able to get out to the stores i, I think you know we, we just panic about all these type of things now here's a text somebody saying jeff i see the same people buying over and over an excess amount of stuff i believe they're reselling it on amazon and ebay and they're making a lot of money doing that well they're, they're trying to crack down on on that 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 ice gouging if you charge more than a certain amount but if you're one of those people that's saying okay i'm going to buy all the hand sanitizer i can so i can turn around and resell it now, there's a special place in you-know-where um, that, that, that deals with that. Um, Jeff, why is it the store's responsibility to limit stuff? Why can't we be mature people? Um, yeah, yep, 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 fair question. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, lots of stuff to talk about. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Um, I, I, I've been trying to propose myself as sort of a voice of reason in this times, and I, I understand there's lots of people that are panicked. And candidly, I, I think in some cases, our leaders and certainly the media haven't done a great job of trying to offer perspective. And I always hesitate to say this because I don't want to sound like I'm downplaying the significance of this coronavirus. I'm not. I I think people need to be smart. Um, The reality is most people aren't going to get this, and the the people that do, most people are going to recover. But you're going to be sick. If you're in one of those vulnerable areas, you're somebody who's susceptible to this, you you don't want this because it it could very well be, be fatal. And so we need to take it seriously. We need to practice the social distancing and all these things. But I do think that there's this hysteria that's going on nowadays that leads to what we were talking about in the last section, just people thinking that, gosh, I'm, I'm going to be holed up in my house for three years, so I need a three-year supply of toilet paper and things like that. Now, um, the, the latest numbers, and there's not going to be a, a Governor Evers briefing this afternoon, but the latest numbers that I have for Wisconsin, and I, I don't want to talk about New York or Detroit or Chicago or Los Angeles. I, I want to focus on, on Wisconsin. Um, so far, 
1,312 cases of coronavirus. That number is going to go up as you have more testing and things like that. Over 16,000 negative tests and 23 deaths, which is an, an unfortunately large number, but 23 is the number. Now, I, I think one of the things that we need to be careful with moving forward, and this is, again, it's not to downplay the significance of what we are going through. It is only to offer a sense of perspective. You cannot turn on the radio, turn on the television, or you know, go to any newspaper website without seeing all these different models that are being run by this place or that place. And, and almost always the projections are apocalyptic. And almost always the projections change. For example, in, in Wisconsin, just to, to give you an idea, about a week ago, there was a prediction that the, the epidemic, um, initial report released last Thursday, said that you know we, we would have a, a peak. The outbreak's peak day was going to be in late May. So this was going to be with us then. Okay, they came out with the same place, comes out with a new projection yesterday, and it says um, now it's, it's not late day, not, not late May, it's actually going to be April 26th. All right, so that's that's the idea. And I bring this up only because the, the data changes on a, on a regular basis. And if if you focus on the, the blaring headline that you see, oh, X people are going to die, whatever, that, that present the worst-case scenarios, I understand why you, you panic. And, again, I'm, maybe maybe some of these health models are trying to do that because they want to convince us that this is a big deal. And, of course, it obviously is a big deal. But you need to, again, offer some perspective on that. Now, last week in the state of Wisconsin, you had the woman who's the acting head of the Department of, of Health you know, in Madison came out, and she said, unless we implement Governor Evers' social distancing policies by April 8th, which is a week from tomorrow, we're going to be looking at 22,000 cases of coronavirus, and we're going to be looking at somewhere between 400 to 1,500 deaths. 400 to 1,500. 400 deaths. 1,500 deaths, which is, of course, an astronomical number. Well, okay, we're we're a week into that prediction, and again, we're about a week away from the estimate, and as I said, 1,312 cases of coronavirus. Not downplaying it. That that's that's a big deal. Nobody wants to get this, but I mean, you'd have to see an exponential spike to get to twenty-two thousand, twenty-two deaths. All right. Well, I, you know, and this is good news. But it seems to me, and maybe a week from now, I'll be saying, "Oh my gosh, those numbers were right on." But I, I don't. You know, Twenty-three deaths as of now. Does that mean that we're going to suddenly have another three hundred or thirteen hundred deaths over the course of the next week? Don't think that that's likely. Which tells me that the projections were were flawed. It also tells me that what we're doing is working, that the whole social distancing thing, people are being smart. Congressman Glenn Grothman was on uh, the Scafidi show earlier today, and, you know, and he was just talking about his congressional district, and he was saying, look, in our district, you know, do we have it? Yes. In my district, do I have it? Yes. Do we have the, these huge numbers that are overwhelming the health care system? No. And he said, I, I think maybe it's because the message got out. And, you know, in order to get this, you have to be exposed to somebody who has it. And, you know, maybe some people started the social distancing and the following the hand washing and all these rules earlier, all of which is, is good. I bring this up 
only because I think we cannot give in to panic. We cannot underestimate the significance of this, right? And, and the sooner we all social distance and take care of ourselves and do the hand washing and things like that, the sooner we get back to normal, whatever is normal is going to look like on this. I'm just saying for your own state of mind, when you, again, turn on the television or hear the headline news and it says, okay, 200,000 people might be dead in the next you know, week or so, all right, maybe, but I'm saying these models a lot of times tend to be worst case and tend to be alarmist and tend to be subject to frequent readjustment. And there are epicenters, and we certainly want to do everything we can to stop. And let, let's just focus on Wisconsin right now. I understand this is a national problem, but the issues and the numbers they're seeing in New York dramatically different than, say, the issues that we're, we're seeing here. It's, it's different. I think the recovery... It's not a one-size-fits-all thing, and maybe you know here, if we follow the social distancing rules and the numbers don't spike like some of these projections you know suggested they might, okay, maybe then what we can start do is doing is is rolling out and getting back to normal more quickly than in an area like New York City or like New Orleans or whatever. I'm just saying that you have to have a little bit of perspective on this. And as I've been saying, one of the things that I, it would be nice to have our government officials, when they're giving us all these numbers and these projections, it would be nice to include information on the number of people who tested positive for coronavirus who have in fact recovered. Because I think some people get the idea that, okay, if, if you have it, nobody wants to get it. I mean, I understand that. You want to avoid it, getting it at all costs, but a number of people are either asymptomatic or it's a mild sort of thing and they end up recovering. I think it would be helpful. I mean, it, are there, for example, 1,300 people that are still walking around infected with this or have there been a number of people who have recovered? I also think the interesting data piece that would be nice to share is of the people who've tested positive, how many have had to be hospitalized as a result of that? Because at the end of the day, that's what we really want. That's what we really want to know. And I know I've been beating this drum repeatedly for the last couple of weeks, but I think it's important to be said. Coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. I mean, maybe in the next few months we'll be lucky and they'll develop, I don't know, something that you can take to minimize the effect of it, something like the, you know, what they have with, what, what is it, Tamiflu now. Um, you, you've, got, you've got that. But until we get a vaccine, which is a year, year and a half away, it, it's still going to be with us. What we want to do is we just want to, people are always going to be getting this, unfortunately. We just want to make sure that until we get that vaccine, that we're, we're not overwhelming the healthcare system with it. That, that whole idea of flattening the curve, which is kind of becoming a cliche now, but it's a legitimate sort of point. So one of the things that would be helpful also is, okay, what, what is, how many people are being hospitalized as a result of this? Are we overwhelming the healthcare system now? How, how close are we to overwhelming the healthcare system? And one of the themes of the program today is transparency. I, I think people are, people are smart. People can be trusted to, to have the information. You know, we don't need to panic people. We need to be honest with people, and, and we need to be, be saying, okay, we, we, we've got this issue here. Not a worst-case thing, but this is where the numbers stand. This is why we think they're going to be greater moving forward. And then I think 
let's trust everybody. Let's be transparent. Let, let's not scare people. And I think people will end up doing the right thing. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it, it's great that I don't believe that we're going to be close to 400 deaths um, by April 8th. And maybe that means social distancing is working, in which case that, that, that's great. We need to keep it up. But we don't need to scare people, period. And that's what I try to do. I want to offer a little bit of perspective. All right, when we come back, I, I sent out a tweet on this. It, it's a lot more and more of us are working at home now. Some people are adapting well. Some people aren't. We're going to discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Coronavirus may be postponing the start of the baseball season, but we're still here to give you your Brewers fix. Tune into WTMJ Wednesday at 6 for a Brewers Classic. It's game 163 from 2018. The Brewers and the Cubs play for the NL Central Crown from Wrigley Field. Let me give you a little hint. Um, the Brewers win. Tune in this Wednesday at 6 o'clock as Bob Euchre calls Brewers Baseball. Brewers Classic sponsored by DNM Heating, Great Midwest Bank, and Dave Draycamp Heating. Boy, I tell you, I, as this goes on and on, I just I, I hope we don't lose baseball this year. And I understand it's almost unthinkable, but I mean, keep in mind just the, the news today. We, you know, Festa Taliana, you know, deciding that they they were going to cancel for 2020. And, and I understand Festa Taliana is the middle of July, and they're in a situation where I, I think it's just, it's the uncertainty. You know, you, you're you're at a point now where three or four months before the festival, even though it's a ways to July, they're in a <clears throat> situation where. You know, they've got to get the contracts, they've got to get the vendors, they've got to say, okay, what's our attendance model going to look like, all those things. And there's just so much uncertainty that they're saying, I don't, we don't think we can pull off this outdoor, we don't think it makes sense for a variety of reasons to try to pull off this outdoor festival in the middle of July. Now, again, it kind of raises the question, I, I've said this before, I don't understand, and, and I'm, I'm not an advocate for this, but I don't understand how the basketball season is going to come back. I, I, just, I just don't. I mean, we've got safer at home orders in place in Wisconsin through April but but you know a number of other places the governor of Virginia just extended I think an order through June June 1st or something like that well you know how and, and then once you start lifting these it's not like again magically boom we throw a switch and you got 40,000 people piling into Miller Park I just the, the longer this goes on it, it seems like more and more stuff like 2000, the year 2020 is going to end up being the year of the pause. And, and I'm not advocating that. I hope that's not the case. But I guess, you know, I, I don't know when the next time we're going to see Brewers baseball. I just flat out don't. Hope they're able to resume by mid-May. I don't know. Um, hope they're able to resume by early May. But I just, the, the longer this goes on and the more these safer at home or stay at home orders get extended, the, the less likely it seems to be. And because something like baseball is a, it's it's the national pastime. So it's not like we're just saying, okay, what does the coronavirus situation look like in Milwaukee? Or what does it look like in St. Louis? Or what does it look like in Kansas City? I mean, it, you, you got to consider, okay, what, what is New York looking like? And what is Miami looking like? Because the teams, they're, they're traveling to all these different places. So that really is the, the national sort of impact. And I, I again, I, I, hope, I hope this is over sooner rather than later. But the longer this, this goes on and the more stuff that gets canceled for the summer, the more you have to wonder, 
you know, is are we going to be looking at after Labor Day for the start of football before everything turns around? All right. I, I sent out a tweet. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And there was a really interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. And it, it talked about working at home. And if you... If you turn on the television and decide to watch something other than the Hallmark Channel, if you're brave enough to, to turn on TV, what you see, and if you're watching TV news, you're seeing more and more of the the people on television who are, are working at home. I mean, it's the same analysis that we went through here at Good Karma Brands. It's like, look, if we, if we have the technology and we can send people home, let, let's send them home so we don't risk... They don't risk me getting sick and then coming in and getting John McCure sick because we sit next to each other, you know, there. So, I mean, it's something that makes sense. So more and more of the TV shows that they're, they're doing, the, the weather people are doing the weather from their house and the anchors are doing the shows from their homes and stuff. And it is leading to, you know, some interesting sort of things. It's a funny article in the Wall Street Journal just talking about how all these folks that, you know, are, are used to having this environment where you've got all the super graphics and stuff, now it's kind of like low-tech, and all these people have to do their own makeup and things like that. Well, okay, that, that's, if you do radio, that's that's not a big deal. I mean, I don't need to worry about the, the green screens or the makeup or anything like that. All I need to worry about is the electricity in the house is on, and hopefully the computer won't crash while I'm, I'm doing the show. But, but it talks about how people are adapting to the, the new stay-at-home sort of thing and the work remotely. Now, I know there are a number of you. you perhaps you have been working at home for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. All right? But I think for a lot of us, it, it is a new experience. I mean, I've done remote broadcasts for the radio show. I mean, I've been on the road, Summerfest and State Fair and all those different places. Um, that's not unusual. It is a little bit unusual to say, all right, you're not going to leave your house, and what you're going to do in the morning is you wake up downstairs and you walk to your upstairs office and you do the show there. So it's been this kind of interesting sort of thing. My guess is maybe you are going through the same thing that I am about you know, dealing with the working at home and how do you get into the routines and what do you do differently and do you do the same stuff, all those things. And, and I want to devote a segment to it. Our number. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you started working at home as a result of this? And how is it working out for you? Have you changed your routines? Are you keeping your routines the same? Do you find yourself being more productive? Do you find yourself being less productive? And moving forward, and this is perhaps the most interesting aspect of it, is this changing the dynamic of the American workplace? Because, for example, are more and more employers going to find that, you know, maybe we don't need the huge offices. You know, maybe maybe we can get by with less, and maybe we can be actually more productive with the people who are working at home. So 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you've started working from home or you've been working from home for years, how is it working out? How are your routines changing and do you like it? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I will share my stories as well. If you're on the line, hold on. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Molly in Oconomowoc. Molly, thanks for waiting. How's this working at home working out for you? 
Jeff, I've been working at home actually for 13 years. I'm used to the quiet. I'm used to my routine. And the upsetting the apple cart here has been my husband working at home. Um, <laughs> not quite used to having somebody else home. Um, I'm realizing how much I actually talk to our dogs when uh, nobody else is home because he keeps thinking I'm talking to him. Um, but I think he's having a little trouble adjusting. He's going on week three, and he misses seeing people at work because a lot of the work that he does involves interacting with other people. He's a process improvement guy. So he's right. um, constantly analyzing departments and looking at waste and time and all of those great things. So it's been a little bit of a challenge. I, I think it's difficult for him because we have him set up in our guest room, and the nice, soft, queen bed is literally three feet away from his desk. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say, has, has he changed? Has he changed his routine at all, or is it pretty much what it was when he no. was going outside of the house? The only thing that's different is that the car's in the driveway. So he gets up, he showers, he shaves, he dresses like he's going to work. He's at his desk at seven thirty, just like he would be ordinarily. He works a full day. He takes a break at lunch. Um, yeah. Maybe pops out to say hello to the dogs. But other than that, he's really done a great job of staying in a routine. Yeah, I understand. Well, Molly, thanks for the call. I'm glad it's working out. Actually, you know, it's interesting because um, last week I was I was talking over the our, our voice thing to to John McCure and Melissa Barkley, and they they said, "Well, how are you doing?" I said, "I'm I'm, I'm doing fine. I miss seeing people, but I'm I'm doing fine." And then the question was, "Well, how how how's how's your wife doing with this?" And they said, "Well, you might have to ask her that." I I, I see, but I understand this dynamic with the routine because. My routine is is the same as it was if I was going into the, the studio. It just is. I, I get up at about the same time, and the only difference is, I, I mean, I, I get dressed. I'm wearing the same thing to the, right now that I would have when I, if if I was going into work. It's not like I I'm sitting here in like shorts or something like that. I'm I'm dressed like I would be dressed otherwise. The only real difference for me is that the car doesn't leave the garage. It's just instead of you know having breakfast and then just getting in the car and driving to work, what I end up doing is I have breakfast and I. I come upstairs and I'm here in my home office with a shut but otherwise I am trying to maintain that that routine and that sense of, of normalcy to to make this work um, let's see Jeff I run a business out of my home I've been doing so for years so I work at home all the time the only thing that's changed for me is the volume of work I do appraisal app- appraisals and really my workload has actually gone through the roof during this pandemic um that's interesting um jeff working at home is just fine i'm learning how to bake bread and several other things um <clears throat> no i i no, that's not i guess I, I mean i understand see that would be kind of the the temptation that and especially like for a job like mine okay it's 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 noon to 3 you know you're you're on the air so i can't just kind of wander off and try to bake bread or turn on the tv or whatever but i i could understand if you had a different sort of job you're processing claims or you know what whatever i understand that you would always have that kind of temptation to okay i'll i'll make up this time and i'll take a i'll take a break during the middle of the day and i'll go learn how to bake bread or see you know finish that you know episode 7 of the series i've been binging on Jeff, i was fortunate enough to work at home during this time it's actually much more challenging because you lose the face-to-face contact with your co-workers and such. Routine does change. It's too just too different to try to keep your original routine. I enjoy being with my kids and appreciate still having a job, but I do miss people, and the longer this goes on, I believe the more anxiety and mental health issues it will create for many individuals once this is over. 
Um, fair enough. Um, Jeff, I've been trying for years to get my employer to let me work from home. My request is denied again and again. I mean, he says just because I drive a truck. Um, yeah, that's that is you know one of the things that's, that's out there. And I know there's a lot of people who are going. Wait, this is just, this is just no different. I've been. I've been, uh, you know, I don't work in a job where you can work, you know, in your home. And I get it. There's a lot of people that are like that. I do think that this is also going to become one of the new normals because I think there are going to be employers who look at this experience and say, okay, we, we figured out how to do this. We know maybe this is something that we, we thought about in the abstract doing. Now we've been forced to do this because of circumstances beyond our control. And in, in some bit cases, I, I think they're going to say, you know, it, it works. You know, the, you know, Joe is no less productive a, at home than he was in the office. And for a lot of people, they're going to want to get back into the office. But maybe, you know, Joe is a guy who's able to do his job from home. He's happy doing the job from home. He's as productive doing the job from home. And maybe if you want to have a happy employee, maybe the employers are going to say moving forward, well, we would have never thought of under normal circumstances letting Joe work at home, but he likes it. He proved he was able to do it, so maybe we'll continue this moving forward. I think that that is going to be a a shift because I think there's going to be a lot of employers and employees who are learning whether it works or not. And it's not going to work for all industries, and it's not going to work for all employees who are are now forced to work at home. But um, for some, it might. And that will be, I think, one of the perhaps permanent changes that we see to the economy and to the workforce moving forward. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, should we be going out wearing masks? Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. This is kind of a depressing story. Journal Sentinel on their website, we're in a pandemic. This is a good time to plan your estate and make end-of-life choices. Are we trying to scare people much? I, now, don't get me wrong. I, I think it, it's it's very wise for people to, you know, sit down. And, and, by the way, estate planning is not only for people that have a lot of money. It, it, it's not. It's it's very, I think, good to make sure. I think you want to have a will, um, making sure that, you know, you know what's, you, what people know what your wishes are. And I, I think estate planning is a very, very good idea, and it doesn't cost very much money, and it's, it's well worth it, and I encourage everybody to do it. I, I'm not sure that, <laughs> that the, the coronavirus is, is necessarily, if, if we're trying not to just scare people, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the motivation. Oh, the coronavirus pandemic is going on, so you better have a will. I, you, it's a good idea to have a will, period, regardless of the, the pandemic, etc. And again, the, the reality is m- most people aren't going to get the coronavirus, and most people that get it aren't going to die. But it, but again, not saying that you, you shouldn't you know take end-of-life precautions. It's just... I don't know that we necessarily want to terrify people into, you know, changing other sorts of behavior. But, yeah, you should have a will, and you should do estate planning. But headline in the paper, we're in a pandemic. Good time to plan your estate and make end-of-life choices. Like I say, are we scaring people much? But not discouraging you from doing a will. All right, here's one of the interesting things. Right now, we have a, a shortage of of surgical masks, and and candidly, the masks that, that we have and we're producing, 
what they need to be doing is they need, and I'm talking about the surgical and the N95 masks, you know, the ones that are really for medical use. They, they need to be going to medical professionals, and, and they need to be almost on a, on a triage basis. You know, we, we need to figure out where the epicenters are besides New York, et cetera, and we need to make sure that the health professionals throughout the, this, the country who, who need these, have them. They these stories of people not having enough masks or having to use scarves or, or whatever, you know, when they're dealing with people, you know, who have COVID-19 or whatever, that, that's just unacceptable. So the, the surgical masks, the, the N95 masks, they, they need to be going to the medical professionals. So then there's the question about what about the rest of us? And since the start of this pandemic, the, the CDC has has told people you don't need to wear masks and and the the thinking and the argument has been that you know that they they really first of all they they, they don't really do that much good in, in stopping the spread of this disease what you want to do is you know the making sure you you don't cough on people and making sure you cover your mouth appropriately and you sneeze into your elbow and you wash your hands a lot those those are the things that you you need to do and the masks don't make much difference part of it too is the fact that people don't wear masks appropriately you know it's just you, you have the mask on but then as soon as you pull the mask down to scratch your lip or whatever you, you've sort of defeated the purpose because your hands have touched you know your mouth and, and so that's why the cdc has been saying you just don't get enough benefit from it to, to make it worthwhile average people don't need masks now of course the other thing like i was saying is to the extent there's a shortage of masks those masks belong with the medical professionals in any event um, more and more people have taken to covering their faces. And, and it's not just the masks, but it's been using a, a scarf or, like, I, I have the balaclavas, you know, the things you kind of pull over the head and you go to the Packers game with that, that you know, cover your mouth. More and more people have started doing that. And apparently the, the CDC um, is, is considering recommending do-it-yourself cloth coverings as a way to potentially flatten the curve, um, you know, like like you, you make your own like cloth mask, like like you put a scarf or a bandana, you know, or, over your mouth. Um, the argument by some people is says that it would potentially lower the risk that the wearer, the person who's got the the scarf around their mouth, would transmit the virus to other people. The current CDC guidance is that healthy people don't need masks or face coverings. The president is saying, well, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at whether we believe that people should wear non-medical fabric masks. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, here is, here is my question. Do you think that we should be wearing cloth masks as we go out in, in public. Would you feel comfortable doing this? Would you do this? And again, we're talking about people that are otherwise perfectly healthy. And I, I understand it, it takes a while to for the, this disease to incubate. So it, it might be that you feel perfectly great and yet you would be a carrier. But the truth is, like I say, most people aren't going to get this. So here is my question. Do, would you feel comfortable um, you're not going to be able to get like a regular medical mask or anything like that. But would you feel comfortable? Do you think it is necessary for everybody who now goes out in public to start wearing, again, the balaclavas or, or whatever, the, the masks, 
cloth masks, the scarves over their face to stop them from potentially, not going not to stop them from getting sick, but maybe stop them from making you sick. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you ready to start wearing masks over your face, over your mouth, over your nose, in public? And should that be the new normal for the next 30, 60 days. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, I, I, do, I don't want to get sick, and I don't want anybody else to get sick because of me. At the same time, I'm not ready to start wearing a, a mask in public at this point in time. If other people want to do it, that's fine. I'm just not ready for it. How about you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. Barb in New Berlin. Hi, Barb. Hi. So my situation, just like you, Jeff, I've been watching this mask thing pretty closely. Um, I've seen pretty much the, the recommendation up until recently is, not really necessary to do it. And as right. limited as I've been going out, I have not done it. But I think I changed my opinion on this yesterday for two reasons. Number one, they're kind of hedging on this a little bit more when you listen to it. And second mm-hmm. of all, <clears throat> I found myself, I was in a situation where I was in line at a post office mailing something for a grandson's birthday. And um, we were spaced real well, so we had our six feet apart. But the person behind me started to cough, very bad cough, young young woman. Um, I didn't turn around to look at her again. I was thankful she was coughing at my back. But it made me stop and think that, you know, maybe if I had a mask on, if this had been right in my face, you know, if I had been turned the other direction, um, she wasn't doing anything to try to cover her cough, certainly wasn't wearing a mask herself. I would have had at least some protection had I been wearing a mask. So I think I'm changing my opinion on this one. Okay. Now, of course, the the idea is you you would th- you'd be wearing the mask because you think it would give you a little bit more protection from the person that doesn't have the mask that's out there. That would have been my feeling at that point too. And of course. You know, I don't know. I mean, who knows if I'm one of these carriers, which is why I'm limiting my mm-hmm. my movement around, too. I don't want to give it to anybody else by any means, too. But, it, right. you know, it just is common sense. If somebody, if you've got something on your face and you're covering the major portions of your face and your nasal passages and that, if somebody comes and starts coughing really badly at you, at least you would have some protection on I'm surprised you didn't confront the woman. I mean, I, I'm not sure how I would have reacted if I'm standing in line and there's somebody five feet behind me who's coughing up a lung and not, not was she not covering her mouth or anything like that? Just you know. No, and you know it's funny doing? you say that. My husband said that to me. He, I mean, he had a very surprised look when I told him this story. He said, "Did you turn around and say something?" And my response no. to him was, "No, I was afraid she'd cough in my face then." <laughs> Yeah, that's, no, th- thanks for the call, Barb. I, I appreciate. You know, it's funny how this whole thing has has evolved in this regard because um, this is the time of year that I always I always get a little bit of a cough. I, I get I get my typical winter cold slash virus that I had two months ago, and it always kind of lingers till it gets a little bit warm, and and it it is made worse by the fact that you know I. I sp- 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. <clears throat> Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, a lot of talk about the election, which is a week from today. I, I early voted. I early, in person early voted, went to our polling place, my wife and I, about a week ago or so, and did it with, with absolutely no problem. <clears throat> it is going to be interesting moving forward. And I, look, I mean, here, here's, here's the reality. The, a couple days ago, the governor wanted all registered voters to be sent, you know, ballots in the mail. That was never going to happen. It wasn't realistic. It wasn't practical. There's not enough ballots that, that are printed, it, but beyond all the other logistics. But, I mean, there are different opportunities. If you want, you can still vote by, by mail. Um, I, interestingly, I have a text here that I, I wanted to share. Um, Jeff, with the voting date coming up in only a week, please remind people that the return ballot, when done by mail, does need postage. Some city town halls put return postage on them, but not all do. I'm a letter carrier, and I don't mind throwing on a stamp here and there, but we've been picking up a lot without postage. I want everybody's vote to count. So if you are using the vote-by-mail option, you you might want to check. Again, I I haven't done this, so I, I don't know if I don't know if all the clerks are putting uh, postage on or not. I, the the sense I get is no. So make sure that if you're voting by mail, if you want your vote to count, make sure that it has the appropriate postage on it. All right. One of the things that I have been wrestling with, and I don't have a problem with the safer-at-home thing, and I think the idea of unnecessary travel and and not congregating in the large groups, to me it makes eminent sense, at least for the foreseeable future. At what point in time we need to start coming out from that, whether it's a week from now or three weeks from now or whatever, I guess perhaps it's too soon to tell. But I do think that, and this ties into something that U.S. Senator Ron Johnson was talking about yesterday, I, I do think that in some cases maybe we're asking the wrong question because what we've said is we are ordering all, quote-unquote, non-essential businesses to close. And and that's th- that poses a huge hardship to a lot of the businesses that are defined as non-essential. And, and <clears throat> the, to me, the issue is it shouldn't necessarily be, you know, what's an essential and what's a non-essential business. To me, the question should be, do we need to close this business because we need to stop the spread of coronavirus? For example, as much as I hate to say this, I understand why we're, we're saying to restaurants and bars, you, you can't have people in them because it's going to be people in close proximity to each other. And I hate that, but I get it. The example I've always given, I'm having a tougher time saying to the, the dog groomer, and that's the example I give, the dog groomer that's, that's in her, her shop, and it's her and her daughter, who, you know, work grooming dogs, and what happens is people bring over maybe seven or eight dogs a day. There's very, very limited interaction, certainly a lot less interaction when they drop off the dog and then pick up the dog than there is when the lady is standing in line at the grocery store or at Walmart or, or whatever. What, what is the purpose of telling that dog groomer you, you cannot be open? Now, is dog grooming an essential business? Well, I, I leave that out, but I guess my question is what, what is it – 
why do we say you can't take your person, if the idea is we want to stop the spread of coronavirus, all right, does leaving that, that dog owner, the, the, that dog groomer, does allowing her to continue to groom the dogs, does that really promote the spread of, of coronavirus? So maybe that's the question that we should be asking. And then, of course, we're all over the map when it comes to essential businesses. Story yesterday, Hobby Lobby, which um, gets a lot of scorn by the, the national media because it's it, the, the folks who own it have a deep uh, religious faith and they're closed on Sundays and things like that. Well, anyhow, it, it's interesting. Let me share a, an email I got from one of our listeners. Jeff, last night I was watching the late news on WTMJ4. TMJ4. They did a piece on the forced closing of Hobby Lobby in West Dallas. Hobby Lobby had stayed open. And the authorities in West Dallas went and they closed them down. Now, what does Hobby Lobby do? Well, they, they sell hobbies. They sell arts. They sell crafts. They sell kids stuff, you know, puzzles, those types of things, as well as, like, cloth and things like that. All right. So they did a piece on Channel 4 on the forced closing of a Hobby Lobby because it wasn't an essential business. The very next segment was about Winkies. Winkies, if you do not know, is a wonderful store that is an institution. It's on the corner of Silver Spring and Marlboro, right off of Lake Drive in Whitefish Bay. It has been there for years and years and years. It is a wonderful store. But anyhow, right after talking about how Hobby Lobby was closed, they did a piece on Winkies being open as an essential business and focused on the products that Winkies had that would help children and parents while at home and doing schoolwork at home, puzzles, crafts, games, etc. It struck me that these are the kinds of things Hobby Lobby sells in addition to <clears throat> things like fabric. It seems if one of those businesses is open, the other one should be open as well. And I, I thought that's a really interesting point. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that they should close the wonderful store that is Winkies. But it is kind of an interesting point. You know, we're, we're going to close... Sally's Hallmark store, where she sells some cards and some gifts, but we're going to allow the gift shop in the grocery store selling all sorts of Easter stuff. We're going to allow that to stay open because they're also, you know, selling groceries. So there's kind of like this this picking and choosing that goes on as to, you know, who the winners are and who the losers are with essential businesses. Whereas my point would be. You know, obviously there's going to be some businesses that you got to keep open, the grocery stores, etc. But rather than trying to decide, you know, does Winky stay open and do you close Hobby Lobby, shouldn't the question perhaps more appropriately be, all right, if we leave Hobby Lobby open, is that going to contribute to the spread of, of coronavirus? And if the answer is yes, then you close Hobby Lobby. It, doesn't that make perhaps more sense than trying to, you know, have angels sitting on the head of a pin deciding what's an essential business and, and what's not? And then you get to one of the other issues. A big, well, number of stories all across the country. The one I happen to be looking at now comes out of the Wall Street Journal. Gun stores, and, and we've talked about this before. One of the things that has gone on with the, the spread of coronavirus has been the number of gun sales has gone through the roof. Just like you have all sorts of people who apparently are afraid that they're not going to get toilet paper um, and are rushing out and buying a two-year supply of it, you had a number of people who are concerned that, that the, the civil justice system, is going to, the justice system is going to break down 
and we're going to have anarchy, and we're going to, I don't know, civilian authorities aren't going to be able to control stuff anymore, and that people need firearms. So the number of firearms being sold in Wisconsin, at least I had the numbers last week, and I think pretty much across the country, they're, they're through the roof. Gun stores, by and large, with, I believe, the exception of the state of California. California, I think, is the exception. But otherwise, gun stores across the country have been allowed to stay open. Firearms industry workers are on the federal list of essential workforces, like doctors, police officers, and energy workers. All right, gun sales have surged along with lines at gun stores. Our number. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are gun stores essential businesses? And we're closing Hobby Lobby. We're closing, like, the the local gift shops and things like that. All right. Should we allow gun stores to stay open? Does that make sense? Are they an essential business? Would you urge the closing of them? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my question would be, why or why not? I mean, why, why or why not should we allow firearm stores to continue to stay open when we're telling all sorts of other stores that they have to close? All right. Are they an essential business? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are gun shops uh, essential businesses? And, and again, this is... I'm getting a f- number of fascinating texts on this with people, you know, wrestling with, well, we, we don't understand this essential business idea. And, and if you don't, you, you stand in line because there, there's a lot of picking and choosing. Jeff, why are car washes essential? Well, okay, car washes may or may not. My understanding is car washes associated with gas stations are open, just that the sole car washes, though, are closed. Could be wrong, but I, I think that's the way it works. Jeff, um, uh, personally, I need a dog groomer with my Labrador Labradoodle because he doesn't shed. Um, we have monthly visits. I need that more than I need a gun. I have no idea why a gun shop has to be open, but my essential dog groomer isn't, quote, essential. Those are these issues. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, here's the bottom line, and I will, I will tell you why, why gun stores, I believe, have to stay open. Now, whether they're essential or not is a whole different issue. But I, I think the, the idea is potentially political in the fact that if you were given the fact that, you know, you have the Second Amendment and you have a right to bear arms, here, here's the bottom line. If you were to have a governor who were to say, I'm going to close all the gun stores, I'm going to deny you, therefore, your opportunity to buy firearms to protect yourself if you feel there's a need. I think what would happen is you would have just a political uprising. I, I just, I don't think, so I mean, I think, and this, this kind of goes into the whole game of uh, picking winners and losers when you decide what business is essential or not essential. Because just from a political perspective, to tell people that they could no longer buy firearms, I, again, I, I think it's a non-starter because you'd have just a, a, a revolt. You'd have a lot of people saying, you're denying me my Second Amendment rights, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think you would increase um, and lead to a, a panic uh, among people. 
And um, a- as a result, I, I think that it-, it makes sense. I think this is part of the reason why they-, they added gun stores to the federal guidance over the weekend, because they recognized the problem you would have if you would suddenly say, okay, well, we're going to deem gun stores to be non-essential. And I think that's a good decision. But again, it raises the larger question. And I understand some people don't like me asking these questions and think that we should just that that by asking the question you downplay the significance of coronavirus. It, it it's not that, that that's not the point. But again, I think the big question that we should be asking ourselves is: All right, the saying to this business you have to close. The saying that does by forcing the business to close. By going to that person and saying, okay, you're going to be forced to close and you're going to end up having to lay off people, et cetera, et cetera, does that make us safer? As a community, does closing your shop by order of the government, does it make it less likely that people are going to get sick from the coronavirus? That is the question I think that you should end up asking. And candidly, you know, a, a gun store that might have five or ten people coming in over the course of the day, um, with appropriate social distancing, I don't think that that leads to a dramatic expansion of coronavirus any more so than, I don't know, again, the, the people going into the Sam's Club or the Walmart or whatever. We, we need to be smart. We need to practice the social distancing. At the same time, we need to recognize that just blanketly forcing places to close doesn't make sense. Now, let's be honest. The reality is that there's a lot of businesses that might even qualify as essential businesses that are closing because there's just not enough business out there. You, you could stay open, but right now people are in such a mindset that, that they're not out there, <clears throat> they're, not, they're not shopping. Um, the big story yesterday, Macy's, The Gap, and closer to home, Kohl's, have all furloughed employees. Now, I don't know whether or not you could make an argument, for example, that, that Kohl's was an essential business so that the store should be allowed to remain open. I don't know that one way or the other, but it became academic because Kohl's made the decision that they were going to close down. So we, we didn't even have to have that discussion. The reason they made that decision that they were going to close down is because their business had just completely and totally dropped off uh, off the cliff because people hadn't been going in and they hadn't been, been buying stuff. So you get to a point where even if you're open, if you're not getting enough foot traffic, if you're not getting enough people coming in and shopping, it doesn't make any sense anyways to, to stay open, so you close. And so Kohl's and Macy's and The Gap, they all announced that they, at least for the foreseeable future, were going to be um, closing their shops. They're going to be laying off people hopefully to be brought back at some point in time, but, you know, who knows when that is. So I mean, what Kohl's is doing is by essentially furloughing its store and store distribution center associates, what they're doing <clears throat> is they're, they're going to save money off their, off their bottom line. Macy's furloughing most of its 125,000 employees during the, the shutdown, not because the government is forcing them to do it, but rather because the, the marketplace just dictates that. It's unfortunate. It's sad. And, and those are some of those decisions that are there. I don't know, again, whether that would be an essential business or not. I just know it doesn't make any sense for them to stay open, which demonstrates, again, the problem we're going to have 
once we start allowing businesses to reopen, you wonder what what is that market going to look like? Is there going to be demand? You know, is Kohl's, Kohl's was struggling before all this happened. You know, Macy's was struggling before all this happened. What's it going to look like afterward? What's it going to look like six months from now? What's it going to look like a year from now? I don't think anybody knows. This is Jeff Wagner.